Hello everyone, welcome to episode 60 of Manage the Wild. I'm Nick Madsen. Today we're going to talk about elk depredation or wildlife depredation or all the other words that I've heard, deprivatization, uh, privatization tags, elk private tag problems. There's a whole host of things that they're called, but it is ways that you are dealing with animals that are coming in. Uh, to crops or to your land and destroying your property. Uh, this time of the year, it's it really becomes a problem, um, especially in the area that I live in. As the snow builds up, it pushes the animals lower. And where all the people live is in the lower parts of the valley. And so you have, uh, this time of year, high, high amounts of snow or large amounts of snow, cold weather, pushing the animals down and it becomes, there becomes areas of conflict. And these areas of conflict are usually around agricultural areas, um, haystacks, haylage, silage, just anywhere you have cattle or horses. And uh, this time of year, I always found myself really busy. One instance that I'm thinking of is an actual dairy farmer had a a problem with a large herd of elk coming into his area. And they weren't just getting into his hay barn. We brought enough fencing down to completely block off that hay barn, and every day he'd have to tear the fencing down just to feed his cows. The problem that the animals, the elk ended up starting to do, was they were getting in the manger with the, the dairy cows themselves. They were Holsteins. And they're actually causing harm and damage to the Holsteins getting aggressive going after the feed. They would put their heads through the head stalls as well. And uh, the bulls started getting caught. And they found a couple of calves in their milking barn. And it uh, started to prove to be quite a challenge. We would go there at midnight to haze and to try and deter, deter the elk away and you would shoot off cracker shells which are uh, it's like an m80 but you shoot it out of a shotgun and we were scaring the holsteins so then the issue that he had is uh, they were dropping the pounds of milk so not only were these elk coming into his dairy barn affecting his hay the, the amount of hay that he fed, he had to keep more hay, so it cost him more. But then he started losing money because of the amount of harassment that we were providing for the elk to protect the cows. Then they became stressed, and it just created a whole situation. And uh, this time of year, I'd always be driving all over, providing as much fencing as possible during the nights. Uh, we'd be working overtime because we would have to go at these different locations and shoot cracker shells and we did the best that we could but we were really short-handed um there was one situation where a gentleman had literally done everything he could he ended up having a heart attack because of the amount of stress that the elk were putting on him keeping him up at night and awake so he wasn't getting very good sleep and he was losing a lot of his hay and it ended up being um, horse hay or small bales, which are pretty expensive now as everybody's gone to the larger. So he was weed-free horse bales 
and uh, an elk could come in and they could just do so much damage to these small bales to where it would just be a large pile of hay like he had never baled it and then there would be a pile of strings. And we would go into this situation, we would deter the elk and they would move on to the next property which we didn't have access to and we would leave and a half hour later the elk would come back. So this ended up proving to be just a whole host of challenges and people wanted us to do more but the challenge is we were limited by law in what we could do. In the rules section, the administrative rules for the Utah Division of Wildlife, the way I was ruled and the regulations I had to follow were under regulations uh, R657-44 talking about big game depredation and it listed all the strategies that we could use in working with a landowner to try and mitigate the amount of damage he was receiving. We would have to go in and we would have to investigate, make sure this is actually happening because some people just wanted tags because oftentimes you can give out a certain number of free tags and then you can also give out vouchers that can re be redeemed. It costs a little bit. But it was our one of the ways that we would go in to help these landowners, and sometimes they didn't have a problem. They would just get these tags, then they could sell them to the public. So we'd go in, investigate, make sure they actually had an, an issue. And then we would have to come up with an action plan on how we were going to help reduce the amount of depredation or eliminate the amount of depredation. And it would talk about the different techniques that we could use, whether it was herding the animals away, capture relocation. I never got involved in a capture and reloca relocation. I, I encouraged it, but it was too expensive. It's too, too costing, costly, and it was just not something that my bosses uh, wanted to be a part of. I wanted to do it just because I'd never done one. Now, we've trapped elk and moved them for other purposes so i've been a part of that but i never got to go work with a landowner set up a temporary trap and go in and trap and remove elk that way i always wanted to uh, and then we could uh, set up removals if that was part of the plan and these removals the only time i was ever part of removals is when there was no access for the public to go in and help us and there was nothing that we could do other than to remove the animals. And we would remove the amount of animals based upon how much damage they were um, costing that individual and based on the amount of money that we estimated the elk to be worth. So we could go in and if I wanted to remove 100 animals, that would obviously not be approved because the amount was too high, but removing five or six animals to help reduce that amount of damage and ultimately the cost of the elk is what we were you know going to pay out to that landowner so we would go in and we would look at these and if the landowner didn't like uh, our action plan they could submit we call it a 72 hour notice but they could submit to remove their own to remove the animals on, on their own. They could go in and kill those animals. And 
we had 72 hours. We called it 72 hours because we had 72 hours to go in and determine whether they had a case or not. And there was only a few instances where it was approved that I saw. Uh, we had some issues with orchards. Um, the bucks were going in and they were wiping out all these brand new trees that they were planting and causing huge amounts of damage and the cost to orchards were high and so they got approved for their own removals they would kill the animals clean them we would go in and pick them up and then we would donate them uh, for the welfare fund and then uh, there was another situation where an elk herd too far away from everybody was coming into an area that had on the only pivot within miles miles and all these elk and deer were coming in and they were allowed to remove remove a few elk just because of the man hours and the cost to the division would have been too high and so there are some options but they're never any good and it's always difficult and so this time of year as you think about all these animals struggling think about um what damage they're also causing as they try to feed themselves. Obviously, with these cold with this cold weather, the deep snow, they're not going to be putting on any weight, and so they're coming into these fields because they're hungry. We would work with landowners and tell them why they're receiving this type of damage, but ultimately, you're telling them about an animal and trying to justify why we should let them the animal hurt their livelihood, which is paying for their family. And so some of these situations became very tense situations and they were sometimes hard to deal with. When we were doing removals, uh, we were, I was never allowed to be in a position to remove bulls. So when we did do removals, the greatest effect that we could have on a population was removing females. So we would go in and remove the females as much as possible. Uh, if they were calves or fawns, that we had to go in and remove. Obviously, you can't really tell if it's a, a doe or a buck or a bull or a cow. So we would always, uh, to the best of our ability, to remove these females. And uh, it's just this time of year. It's going to be this way until March. And then the challenge you got right after March is the green up. And their bodies and the... Um, what is it? The, uh, their bacteria in their gut hasn't switched very well during that really quick green up that happens between March and April. And so a lot of the fawns start getting scours. And so this is just a really tough time of year for wildlife, especially mule deer and pronghorn. Uh, pronghorn are getting caught in fences, deep snow drifts proven a challenge and these mule deer as well they're not getting any fat put on they're just burning through their reserves this time of year so see what you can do to go out and help wildlife understand landowners are facing issues and some of them don't like wildlife because of these issues that they're facing but depredation is a challenge for wildlife if you want to increase wildlife in your area, you've got to increase the tolerance with the private landowners and help them, not just help them understand the animals are dying. They understand that because they're feeding animals. 
but help them find ways to mitigate the damage or help them to cover the cost of the damage. All right, you guys have a great day. Stay wild.